Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Above ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Aloha, good-looking people. Raphael Saray, Bebe, the old Hungarian heartthrob, with you here for another installment of Sewer Box Office Podcast. Thanks to everybody who has been listening in. We've had great success with our episodes. Brent Lethbridge, he'll be in for a part two, we hope. We had uh, Natalie and Noel on talking about their tremendous journey to our community. Good one on tap for today, folks. We've got Cred Bancroft in, the cool teacher, Mr. Bancroft, who is uh, another out-of-towner and could possibly be another lifer. The uh, One of the pillars of the local music scene, literally the poster boy, creates all the posters for the Johnny Social Club so shows. So we'll hear about his extensive musical career, even as a young man growing up in Windsor, Ontario, and how he got to Flim Flon. This may be a two-parter as well. So crack open a beverage, put your feet up, and enjoy the sultry sounds of Craig Bancroft as he tells us about his artistic musical journey to the north. Susan Gunn's going to be in. She's making some tea for us, so we're going to have ourselves a fun time with Craig next here on the Sewer Box Office Podcast. When you get that craving for something luscious and you want to feel like you're cheating on your diet... When you want something sinfully sweet with delicious natural taste. Way to go, Diet Fago. When you're crazy for something incredibly rich and you want over 20 flavors to choose from. Way to go, Diet Fago. Way to go. All right, well, anything else we'll fix and post? Hi, Susan. Hi, <laughs> All right. Uh, so you're not from here, right? Uh, no, I'm not from Flin Flon. And why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm uh, I'm from Windsor, Ontario, which uh, I think I think it was Stephen Colbert he called it the rectum of of Canada. Wow, <laughs> that's he, yeah, that happened a couple years ago. I think it made, of course, lots of news in Windsor. Um, I'm not sure if it's maybe a geographical thing, like if the map was. A body, we would be the rectum, or if there are other reasons. <laughs> was just, he had problems with like the Ford plant and things there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but no, I am. And and Windsor, you know, Windsor is a great city to uh, to grow up in. It was hard to leave. It really was. You know, we're a border a border city. We have Detroit right there, and uh, it's extremely diverse. And there, that lends itself well to having lots of good restaurants. Ooh, something Flin Flon has two of. <laughs> something I, I greatly miss uh, living here is, is the food back home. And of course, you know, friends, family. Friends. <laughs> I love how that but, went first. <laughs> but really, yeah. The food is, is something I greatly <laughs> miss. Really the food. Yeah. So are you talking about your mother's cooking or? Well, I mean, uh, certainly, yes. And if she happens to be listening to this, I, I, <laughs> that's I definitely do miss that. But there were so many good little restaurants like right around the university. So the university would be very close to the border where you could hop on the bridge and go to Detroit. So right around there, there were all these little hot spots to go to um, that were all like uh, very diverse, quite ethnic food all right there. Because we had a lot of international students. I think, I think the University of Windsor is, 
like one of the most diverse universities in Canada. I think I could very well be wrong, but that's what I would, you know, I, I I'm guessing. <laughs> so when you were growing up, since it is a border town, is it a little more American than perhaps you would know, or is that is that all you know? No, well, I guess it's all I know. Maybe I remember first coming here, and um, there were some things I think I said where uh, people would laugh at. Not not like I have an accent, but. I mean, maybe I do. I'm not really cognizant of that. Maybe I have a bit of a, a Michigan flair in the way I pronounce things. I really don't know. But I guess I grew up with all uh, American radio, lots of American TV, um, because of the location. And I mean, when we were younger, our parents used to shop there all the time. We still kind of do, but it was always about like going to Meyer and getting groceries and bringing them back. <laughs> now the Kroger man, the Meyer man? Well, Kroger, I have been to more recently, but uh, Meyer, I think, was probably closer. <laughs> and that's why yeah you watch a lot of bernie smilovitz on sports uh you know what is that herman harlan Ber news bernie Sumpich. wdiv local four Ber yeah how, how do you how do you know all that because that's because that's the winnipeg tv that i got we got wjbk cbs we got uh, wdiv that, and then it was uh i think it was wxyz came in that's all sounds very familiar bernie with the sports sounds very because he would have his like his bloopers were like weekend at bernie's and be like ah oh, this guy yes. dropped the ball and yes. fell down it's hilarious i can picture who that is in my mind don't necessarily he looks that, like but... a guy who you would think is named bernie smilovitz <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got that going for him so was it weird like in Windsor grocery stores, was it like ham by the kilogram? And then in American grocery stores, well, it was all by the pound? I remember. Uh, I it's was like, this is your life here. <laughs> I was pretty young when we would go over and do the big grocery hauls. But even, <laughs> even now, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like one of those where you've got four kids and it's limit four and you get yeah. all four kids. So you get 16 like cheap colas and kind stuff. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, the thing I remember most was more options. There were so many different flavors that I never thought could be conceived. Um, you know, if you're going down the frozen section here, it's like, oh, here's these frozen dinners. But then when you go over there, it's like, whoa, they have this, they have this, they have this. It's like, I didn't even know that was a flavor. Um, and like things that don't look edible sometimes, like they look like something you'd put in your vehicle, like a, like a bright blue soda, right? You know, stuff like that. Blue raspberry like, with a Z. Like Fago Pop. Have you heard oh, of Fago? Yes. Yeah, it's a Michigan thing or, oh, Ver yeah. or no, Verner's. You know, no, Verner's. it's, uh, well, that's the yeah. official pop of the Insane Clown so Posse. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, please don't call me that. I'm not, I know very little besides the. Because at, at their concerts, because it's like 38 cents a can or whatever, <laughs> yes. they just like, just, just throw it at people and no. just spray it around. I, I was never really into uh, ICP, <laughs> but um, I do remember that. And I also remember deals being like, you know, uh, four for 10 or, uh, you know, three for 15, which we didn't really have in Canada, at least not, I don't remember. So it was really hard. You had to do the math in your head to figure out if I'm actually getting a good deal, <laughs> you know? So, um, you're back, you're like music guy, you're a sing and dance man, and right. literally the poster boy of Flin Flon. Oh, gosh. Um, so, is your family like musical, or were, did you like take a lot of lessons growing up? Were you like sent to theater camp and things? <laughs> well, um, I did a tiny little bit of drumming lessons when I was younger. Um, Leone's Music World in Windsor, which is I don't think any longer. I did that for maybe a couple months, 
I cycled through a couple different teachers there, but it was very odd. I didn't like that. You know, you went upstairs and sat in this little room with like a drum instructor and they just kind of played something and you had to play it back. I remember specifically my first lesson where I had like, I think an older British teacher. He put uh, like a nickel on the snare drum, really cranked it up tight and would ask me to hit it with one hand with the stick and then catch it in the other and keep going back and forth, which <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe he was just messing with me or maybe he was trying to teach me some kind of discipline or stick control. <laughs> wax on, wax off. Yeah, I, maybe. This um, sounds like that J.K. Simmons movie. <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whiplash. So I did that for a bit. I don't know if I really learned much from it. I stopped doing that because it was just sort of awkward. And my dad would just sort of wander around the store in the basement <laughs> waiting for me to be done. It was it was weird, um, but in terms of my family being musical, my parents and sister, I I don't think they would have any problem with me saying that they're not uh, really musical. But <clears throat> what's interesting is I have three other cousins, three cousins that are also drummers and quite successful, uh, pretty good, yeah, which is kind of neat, I think, yeah, and more than just random. So there has to be some kind of gene in there somewhere yeah perhaps yeah yeah i guess so yeah so when you were in high school were, were there like were you in like a band or anything what was your well, i have here in my dossier yes uh <laughs> what is your high school quote click and i've got nerd oh. jocks skaters pothead cokehead okay. meth head <laughs> well <laughs> i'm glad you gave me quite an option uh Okay, so I, it, it kind of evolves. It doesn't quite get to those last few. <laughs> but, well, we had Noelle and Natalie on before, so we had to well, oh, go, go yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so I would say when it started, uh, I was very much more of the jock type in the sense that I played a lot of sports. I played a lot of sports outside of school, and then I played just about every sport in school. But that sort of stopped around grade 11 and I got a little more interested in the artsy side of things and as as you probably know coming from like a bigger high school you almost have to choose one path I remember um, conflicts uh, arising so I couldn't either be in this production this play and also be on the volleyball team you know at the same time so it's almost like you had to choose so I did sports for a very long time but then it sort of evolved into uh, the arts so in grade Eight, I would say, is when I got involved in my first band. And it was really grade nine that we sort of took off. So this is me. <laughs> this, is like, <laughs> this, is, this is me. And... Like grade eight was like the Liverpool era of the Beatles. <laughs> and then they got yeah. an Ed Sullivan in grade nine. You know, it's funny because grade eight was so like we had a, a business plan kind of. In grade eight, we sat down in my basement and we were like, we're going to start a band. And, and it kind of worked. So me and two of my really close friends, we started it. And as we got into grade nine, you know, had this idea for a band, we met all these new students going to this, you know, big high school all of a sudden. And one of, one of those students was uh, Yiwon Kim, or Jen, as we colloquially called her, her Americanized name. Jen came from South Korea and was uh, sort of like a trained violinist. And so in kind of like a yellow card fashion... If you're familiar, we had her play like violin in our rock band, <laughs> which was uh, sort of a cool selling feature. So, like Dave it, Matthews band <laughs> in grade nine is when we like really had our first couple shows, and uh, 
and we were very much emo. I think that was a big thing at that point. We were very emo. So what year would this be? Well, grade nine, it would be, I guess, is that 2004? Oh, he's such a baby. I think, I think. baby. Early 2000s. Definitely early 2000s. (laughs) So, I mean, our, my very good friend now, best friend, had uh, the long black hair and the well, face. Like and My Chemical Romance. My Chemical there. Romance, Hawthorne Heights, stuff like that. My Morning Jacket. Yeah, that was the look. That was definitely the look. Yeah. Yeah, we were called Open Door Policy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how we came up with that, but it stuck. And I'm pretty sure to this day, my mom and grandmother and perhaps aunts have Open Door Policy t-shirts that we made, yeah. So yeah, so where where does grade end kids do gigs? So this is the, the interesting thing. Um, so <clears throat> at that point, the very few shows we did have when we first started, we were underage. So if we were playing a bar, it was really weird uh, because like my, first of all, my dad was there. He was the one like we drove around in our caravan with all the gear. We're all fourteen, so we don't drive. <laughs> and I remember playing one bar on Wyandotte Street, which is sort of. In some in some spots, kind of like, oh, weird, like carrying all this gear on Wyandotte Street as a 14-year-old kid. We played at a bar called The Liquor Box. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, and I, I remember for this one gig, we played our set, and then after we were done like opening up, it's like, well, we have to leave now because we're underage. Um, so there was a couple <laughs> times where it was that sort of thing where we'd have to play and leave. Um, but our biggest gig was the Battle of the Bands at my high school. So we were in... Wow, it's like a movie. <laughs> we were in grade nine, and uh, this is at St. Joseph's Catholic High School, home of the lasers. So this was Laser Palooza. <laughs> and uh, so we're in grade nine, and this is our first official big gig. So, I mean, we've coordinated our outfits. We are ready to go. And it's all original music. We didn't do covers. Oh, wow. Nice. Very bold. Yes. So <clears throat> the thing was with this, with this battle of the bands, it was... Uh, that you won by vote. So being that we were this grade nine band, it was at our school, all of you know the students were at this show and they knew us. The rest of the bands, the rest of the acts that were here weren't actually from our school. They were just local bands in Windsor. So they came too. So of course, because it was a popular vote and all of our friends were there, we ended up winning. Not because of You're being the, the most- home stage advantage. <laughs> well, not because of being the most talented by any means, but uh, because we had the most friends there. And so what that meant was... fans, it counts. Yeah, of course, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We definitely had the most, you know, fire in our belly. We were hungry to play. And, uh, and I remember, I don't even think I used my own drums. I think I used, like, the school concert band drum set, all of that. And we won. We won Laser Palooza, so that meant we won $150. Ooh. And that also meant, this is kind of the cool thing, we essentially got to open for... Thornley, do you remember Thornley? Well, yes, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. so that, far so good. Yeah, they, they come again. They've they got, added some CFAR hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. I mean, Ian Thornley was a pretty big deal, and maybe he still is. I really don't know. He was in Big Wreck or yes. something before. Well, yeah, his well, he'd sing Big Wreck has a song called That Song. That's okay. a CFAR staple. <clears throat> oh gosh, and he's got like the like almost kind of Pearl Jam Eddie Vedder type pipes. Well. I remember meeting him, and he was like eight feet tall, and he had a <laughs> cigarette in his mouth the whole time. But, so, and by saying that we got to open for them, we played this gig called the LaSalle Strawberry Fest, which is still happening. It's still a pretty big deal um, in, like, the next town over. And by opening, I mean, we played at, like, noon, 
and Thornley played around 10 at night. <laughs> but the cool thing was we were still a part of it. And it's funny because in my parents' house right now in our basement, in our old jam space, we have a plaque that says LaSalle Strawberry Fest Participant. Uh, and it's still up there right when you walk in. But playing this show, um, we were sort of able to go backstage. And uh, I remember being, you know, grade nine students, we had unlimited water bottles and unlimited Nest tea. Ooh, yeah. As a grade nine student, if you oh, get, you know, unlimited cans of Nest tea, uh, this is... So can just anybody have these? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is an amazing thing. Um, and so we, of course, after we were done playing our couple songs at noon, we spent the entire time there. And there's fair rides and stuff, and it's in a big park. <clears throat> and so we just walked around uh, as sunburnt, you know, eager students eager young musicians until Thornley played. And then I remember that being the craziest uh, outdoor gig I've ever seen. It was pretty wild. So how many, is this thousands of people pretty much? or I, I'm pretty sure it was a free event. So yeah, there were a lot of people at this. So much so that um, it was the first and only time that I actually crowd surfed. At a at a concert, <laughs> yeah, I really did. This is, we it's Craig's re rebellious stage here. It didn't last long. Me and a couple of my friends, we all did it, and uh, I remember feeling so alive. And it's funny because at this concert, uh, watching Thornley play, um, I really thought like this is, this is the height of of uh, the rock star lifestyle. You know, like I was saying, he looked so tall on stage. He had this cigarette in his mouth, even like as he sang. And we were outside, so I guess that was allowed. But I just thought, oh my god, he looks so cool. And I'll never forget that the power went out at least three or four times mid-song that Thornley was playing. It's almost like we weren't prepared for their gear, or it's like maybe they didn't sound check properly, and they kept blowing, I don't know, I don't know how that works, the fuse or something? So it's funny, they'd be playing like their hits, and then everything would just go black. And you hear just the roaring from the audience. And you can't hear them on stage because the mics and everything are off. And I remember it got to the point where the drummer just came out and did like this little snare solo in the dark until they got like the issue fixed. And that drummer, uh, who I guess would be an inspiration for me, has went on now to play with Serena Ryder, Bedouin Sound Clash, Cardinal Official, if I'm pronouncing that. Right? Canada's hip hop ambassador. <laughs> so that was the, the craziest, coolest show I think that you know my young high school band got to play at. Yeah. So as I look at Susan's notes handing me here, does <laughs> any of this music still exist? Yes, it does. Wow. Uh, I have like a, an EP. EP. Do listen back. listen back. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's. Well, it's original. Right? It's, it's a good memory. And, I, you know, I remember being in grade nine, and we'd bring these stack of CDs that we burned at my uncle's house because we didn't know how to burn CDs. It seemed like a new thing. When we first started playing, you know, I know you're laughing because I seem much younger, but at one point we were recording our songs on a cassette because it was the cheapest, easiest thing to do. Oh, yeah, the Maxell, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we did have these CDs that we mass-produced at one point, Thanks to the $150 that we won at Laserpalooza, we were able to buy this little um, like recording device that you'd hook up to your computer. And uh, so we made five songs on this CD. It was Open Door Policy's first EP. It was called Here's My Heart, Take It. Ah. Remember, this is an emo sort of 
<laughs> era, <laughs> I guess. And it's funny because the lyrics, if I remember correctly, a lot of the lyrics weren't written by us. A good friend of ours in high school liked to write poetry, and she just said we could like use her words. <laughs> so we just basically took them and put them to song. And so, yeah, we had five songs on the CD. <laughs> but it was, it was cool because we'd bring them to school as grade 9 students and sell them for five bucks and sometimes come home with you know a little bit of money in our pocket, which we thought was just the most wild thing. So yeah. was, were there other bands in school, or were you guys like, uh, you guys like it, man? Grade 9 and 10, I honestly think... We were very cool. It very much faded after that. Well, what's the the the, the harrowing rise? What's the dizzying fall of open door policy? You know, I think we got a little older about the time of grade eleven. Um, you started dating an, an Asian woman who really affected the, uh, the not, rest of the not an Asian album. woman, not an Asian woman, but yeah, we sort of had different interests and we did different things, and uh, in the majority of us are all still very close, but. Um, we just sort of separated and it was around that time that I really stopped playing drums completely. I was still in, you know, the high school concert band and we did that kind of thing like for, for grades, but the, the open door policy sort of stopped. We did at one point sort of merge into a different band with a couple different members because the music scene in Windsor sort of changed. Uh, it got very much to like a screamo hardcore grungier stage and we wanted to book shows and play live so we sort of adapted with that and then we changed our name to for our brothers and it went from singing to like screaming it was full screaming and we played so loud and we of course played at my house in my basement because i was the drummer and that's where the gear was and it wasn't until i think this was around grade 11 it wasn't until my neighbor came over and complained to my parents that one of these pictures fell off the wall that I realized, like, oh, gosh, yeah, this is pretty crazy. And I felt so bad. I mean, I feel so bad in retrospect for my parents for having to listen to that so long. Um, so that was quite the thing. But uh, that slowly died off. And I didn't play anymore, honestly, until I moved to Flin Flon. Wow. All of university was a drumless time. A yeah. drumless time. Yeah, yeah. So when you, when you went to... University, so no thought of being like a music, taking not, going into the faculty of music or, or something No, not like at that. all. Actually, I went into um, a drama program. Yeah, a drama education program because Ooh. I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah, I know we have some similar uh, programs here. So I wanted to be a teacher. At one point, I thought maybe I would like to be a phys ed teacher. But then I realized there's a lot of science courses and stuff you have to take for that. Um, and that was not of interest to me. So I went into a drama and education program. Yeah. So was there, did you guys do plays? Did you guys do in university? productions? Yeah. Uh, so in university, shout out to the Jackman Dramatic Arts Center, because I think Windsor has a very good theater program. Um, so there were a bunch of different sort of avenues you could go down. I knew I wanted to teach eventually, so I went into the drama and ed program. But there was also like a Bachelor of Fine Arts strictly just acting program. There was another drama and communications program. So if you're more interested in like film study, you could do that one. And the general drama was more, I think, geared towards people that were interested in like technical theater. So I did the, the education one. So honestly, I didn't do as much acting in university as I would like to. I still had to take acting classes, but we didn't really put on major productions like the other programs did. So do you have to do like child development and all that stuff or? Well, um, 
kind of we had to do quite a bit of uh um not just drama courses we had a lot of electives that we needed to fulfill because we did this ed program so i had to do lots of like psychology classes i ended up getting an english minor so i had lots of english courses um and then it was pretty open actually you could take a lot of just anything you're interested in as well but you also the the big thing for doing the drama and ed program was you had to fulfill practicum so i actually had to be like a student teacher in my undergrad in in windsor in windsor yeah so before i even got to teachers college i had to do like two or three placements where i was already teaching drama in uh elementary school oh you were like 24 and you were mr bancroft not 24 this would be like uh maybe 22 i was quite young yeah Hey kids, we both like Alphagetti and uh, Chef Boyardee. <laughs> well, yeah. it's it's funny that you say that because when I was actually in teacher's college, I ended up doing in my first practicum a like an I don't think they call it OAC anymore, but it was like students that went back for a fifth year of high school by choice. That was a thing. If they wanted to like upgrade their credits or yeah, you were allowed to take another fifth year. Or a first fifth year, I should say. And so I taught a class um at this high school in the county that was primarily made up of students that were in their fifth year and it was a drama course and they were only two years younger than me and i was trying to teach them and it was just a very weird thing i mean they were all super respectful and like they were very interested in drama to be taking it in their fifth year of high school um but it was it was weird i remember students saying like hey we're going to the tim horns for lunch like you should come and like realistically, I would have been like, cool. But I was like, like oh, I can't, maybe I, can't, I shouldn't. No, I should probably go, you know, to the staff room. And <laughs> yeah, so that was weird. But a cool experience, I guess. <laughs> so that makes sound like, I think, they used to have grade 13. That's so what they it were, was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. So you graduated, what, you have theater in English or yep. theater minor? Well, so my uh, the actual program was called Drama in Education and Community. It's a long title. They usually just called it DREAD, Drama in It. <laughs> and uh, so the, yeah, I was a DREAD student. Um, so I graduated with that. So it's like a BA honors in arts, but I also have an English minor. So my idea was going to teacher's college. I, I took... Um, Intermediate Senior Dramatic Arts and English, which means in Ontario, I am certified to teach grades 9 through 12 drama and 9 through 12 English. But it's funny now that I don't even in teach Manitoba, high school. In Manitoba, you can teach anything. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. In Manitoba, I can teach anything I want. And in fact, I teach, you know, kindergarten through five now. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not anything like that. So it's kind of interesting. So yeah. did you think you would have to move to, to teach? Did they tell you that? Or... Well, so it, in southern Ontario, I guess it's getting better now, but in southern Ontario, it's really hard to get a full-time permanent teaching job right away. That's uh, why they all of our teachers come yeah. from or, or from out east, or from out east. So it, it's a similar thing out there too. So if I want to teach, um, I have to spend, you know, essentially years on a supply list or an occasional list. It's different terminology from province to province. So I wouldn't be able to have my own classroom for a very long time. And I guess I, you know, I would go to bed at night, not knowing if I'm working the next morning until I get that call, unless I get what's called an LTO, which is a long-term occasional position. But there's still a huge application process before you even get on that list. So if I was home right now in Windsor, 
there's no way I'd be teaching full time permanent like I am here. And, uh, and that's a huge factor in, in, in never wanting to leave here. Okay, definitely a deep dive into Craig's musical history, and we've got him for a part two, so be listening soon for that as he'll talk about his journey to the north, his impressions of the town, and all the things that he's done. We'll go into Les Mis, we'll go into Greece, we'll go into how he almost destroyed his hands drumming, all of that and fun stuff still to come, so uh, keep an eye out for that. And we'll upload stuff usually every Wednesday or Thursday here, so watch out on social media to see when you can find the next upload of the Sewer Box Office podcast for the great Susan Gunn. I'm Raphael Sarey, baby, saying goodbye and good podcasting.